Check one, two, three. Pop, 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 pop. Check one, two. Check one, two. Check, check. All right. If you can count to ten for me. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Do you have children? I do not. If you did have children, pretend you told them to go clean their room and they didn't do it. So now your voice is going to go up a little bit louder. Okay. Getting a little bit more elevated here with the voice. There we go. All right. Those poor kids. <laughs> okay. Uh, I won't go full Marine Corps drill instructor. <laughs> uh, Coat of Arms has a reputation for being unlike any other gun shop in the area. Okay. Yeah, let's let's talk about um, some point during this today. Let's talk about the classes that you guys teach over there. Sure. Um, just so we can kind of get into that a little bit. That's, uh, yeah, number three there. Okay. All right. You ready? I am. All right. Let's make this happen here. Check, one, two, check, check. Are you hearing that? I am. Yep. Loud and clear. Test, test. I was over at KBZY for the last 23 years, and so when I came over here, I kept saying KBZY for the KSLM, so they made this huge banner behind me, which is a good place to put it behind, behind me. You. Yeah. So can you see it in the reflection? I, I can see a reflection of it now, and that's <laughs> kind of why they did it. So then they gave me a, a full script to read, too, that says, so that way you don't have to make mistakes. I go, but I'd like making mistakes. I don't care. Keeps us human humble, uh, right? That's right. All right. Here we go. Okay, Phil, this is segment one, 15 minutes. Here we go. Wait a minute. What am I supposed to say? Whatever you want. Okay, got it. All right, here we go. Turn off my phone first. Let me double check mine. Let's <laughs> just turn this sucker off so Patty can't tell me to bring home a loaf of bread. By the way, she loves her gun. Oh, does she? She just, I mean, it's Good. Just, we we were sent away for a purse for her, and it's right inside there. And, boy, when she walks out of Safeway at night, her hand is right in there, and it's like, just don't be in a hurry to shoot somebody. <laughs> it might be me. You know? <laughs> but she just, she really feels comfortable with it. And, well, that's uh, good. That's... Yeah, we, I want to get her practicing a little bit more and more with it. And uh, she still kind of holds it with two fingers. and. But, Okay. Well, bring her out for some training. Well, uh, that's a fact, big part of what we do is kind of build that comfort maybe level. Maybe when we get to part three there, or question three, I, I can bring that up. That sure. Body, Patty bought hers from you guys, and she's still a little bit, a little bit nervous. Okay, here we go, Phil. Well, good morning, and welcome to the Terry Stall Show on Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, and I'm so glad that you joined us. Today's Terry Stall Show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance. Our guest today is Adam Johnson from the Coat of Arms, located over there on River Road. How are you, sir? I am well. How are you doing? I'm just, you know, living the dream. <laughs> so how, how long uh, have you had Coat of Arms? 
Uh, five years. We're getting ready to go into our sixth year now. You've been over this location for five years? No, we opened uh, into our larger shop uh, December of 2018. Before that, we were in a little broom closet under the stairs on Cherry. Yeah, we've been there before. Yeah. <laughs> I've worked radio stations like that before. Yeah, and how did you get into this? What's your background? Uh, I was. Uh, I didn't grow up around guns, actually. It's kind of funny. I uh, My first gun was my issued M16 when I joined the Marine Corps. Um, went in in 99. It was still, you know, peacetime Marines. And then, obviously, 9-11 happened, and everything changed overnight. So, Where, uh, where were you when 9-11 happened? Uh, I was teaching a class, ironically, on uh, counterterrorism. I was an instructor teaching. No uh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, we were Oops. in the field at Camp Lejeune, uh, North Carolina. I was out in the, middle of, uh, in the middle of the woods, basically, teaching a class. And... Um, a uh, privately owned vehicle came flying down this gravel road, and it was a, one of the lieutenants from uh, from our battalion's weapons company. And he said, hey, uh, uh, Lance Corporal Johnson, can you uh, can I borrow your class for a second? I said, absolutely, sir. He said, uh, I, uh, like, what are you going to say? No, you yeah, exactly. in a bad time. <laughs> like, I had a lot of no, choices. Can you come back? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. He said, uh, gents, I don't, I don't know how to say it, so I'm just going to come out and say it. The United States is under attack. And uh, we, you know, I mean, everybody that was old enough to remember it, you know, can relate to that day and their confusion. And you know, did you th- did you think when he said that it's under attack that oh maybe he's just trying to play a game on us to see how we react? Or no, you- it, we could tell from the urgency, and you know, it was just the way he was carrying himself. You could tell that he was deeply bothered by yeah. whatever you know news he was getting ready to bring us. So it was, wow, uh, interesting. So yeah, so from there, we go. Go ahead. What did what did what did they do? What were your orders at that point? Did you have any specific orders that say, "Hey, uh, I need you here. We're going to do this"? Or well, the whole base went on lockdown because we were, you know, there's all kinds of rumors and scuttlebutt flying around that sure. all the bases were going to be attacked, and so we spent the next several days just fully locked down on Camp Lejeune, and uh, we went to the armory. Everyone checked out weapons, and um, yeah, we're guarding basically every building and every gate entry and all that. Did you did you think at any time that you might have to go to war? Uh, I think we all knew it. Uh, really? that, yeah, we we knew at that point in time. We didn't really know where we were going or for, you know what enemy we'd be facing. But uh, you know, with the magnitude and the scale of of what happened and and the yeah. just the sheer fact that we were in the Marine Corps at the time, like it, it was it was very obvious that that's our lives had changed forever that day for sure. Uh, for me, I, I was I was on the radio um, across town, and I I remember thinking, how can you hijack an airplane, take it into a building? Then hijack a second airplane, take it into a building. Then hijack a third airplane and take it into the Pentagon. Yep. Uh, and then another one down in Pennsylvania. It's like, this is America. This doesn't happen to us. Yeah. It's. And uh, it was like, <laughs> wow. It, it's yeah. interesting to think back on, and you know, we've been in the frog and boiling water for the last, you know, eighteen years now. Yeah. Um, don't really notice how many changes have taken place, but if you really think about how much has changed in the United States since nine eleven, it's it, it's interesting to look back on for sure. I, I, I imagine you've seen the the photograph. We all have seen it when President Bush was notified. Yeah. Just the, when he was reading the, the story. Yeah, and the look on his face, like, holy crap, what's going on? It's a lot to process. You know? and, yeah. And he, I thought he did it fairly good by not alarming the children there uh-huh. he's just kind of like okay 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 i gotta get out of here i gotta get out of here and uh and then he couldn't go home <laughs> they flew him then they fly him to they, they were in the air for a long time yeah. actually that's i mean that's what air force one is a flying fortress basically so yeah they, Amazing. they never knew where they were going to land or well where thank the you was. thank you for your service how, how long were you in uh five years okay yep. and um let's let's talk about how you got into the into the weapons. Yeah, so that's where I kind of got interested in, in firearms and sort of gained a little bit of proficiency with them and then uh, became a, a police officer in Indianapolis and uh, 
did that for a while, then went into private security contracting, and it was there that um, the contractor I was working for needed armorers. And uh, I've always been into taking apart clocks and taking apart radios, and, you know, it's just kind of that I took my mom's toaster apart one time. (laughs) Did you put it back together is the question. I got it back together, but I had a couple of extra pieces. Well, that's fine. That's normal. Because it was smoking. And so I said, well, Mom, I can fix it. So I took it apart, put it back together. I thought, I wonder where these pieces go. But you know what? It stopped smoking. Well, there you go. Did it did it stop toasting? Well, that's beside the point. <laughs> you know. Did you have to go there? <laughs> so, how long were you a police officer? Uh, six years. Yeah. Yep. And uh, six years is long enough for you? Uh, yeah, it was. I I don't know. I I, I I've always been driven to to serve, and uh, that was just sort of a continuation of of my service, and yeah. you know, in my mind. Um, Are you originally right. from Indianapolis? Uh, no, I was born in D.C. actually, but I okay. uh, kind of grew up all over the place. My dad was uh, Air Force, and then he was NSA, so we just moved wherever the wind took us. So how did you end up at uh, that police department then? Mm. Uh, that's where, at the time, my mom lived when I got out of the Marines, and so I just uh, wanted to be near you know, some family, and uh, that's how I ended up in Indy. I actually like the town. It's a really neat little yeah. uh, neat city. Isn't it, it's amazing how we kind of, when you get out on your own, uh, and it could be no matter where you're at in the country, you kind of always head home. Mm-hmm. You know, I did that when my mom lived in Denver, and somehow I ended up back in Denver. Mm-hmm. I'd never been in Denver in my life, but I ended up back in Denver. And it's like, you know, there's no place like being around mom. Yep. <laughs> there's no place, like, even though she drives you crazy, there's no place like being around mom. So how did you get into to the guns itself? I mean, you you... Was this the first store that you opened? It is, yeah. So, but I, I've worked on guns for many years before that. So, when I was a contractor, um, I got sent to an armorer's course to learn how to work on different different firearms platforms, and that's how I got into working on guns. Um, when you say working on guns, what does that mean? What do you do with the guns? Uh, gunsmithing. We do a lot of custom work. Uh, we do like what? Uh, we do Cerakote, uh, which is like a it's a ceramic uh, polymer that we can do in any color it's really abrasion resistant it's actually more corrosion resistant than stainless steel believe it or not okay um and so a lot of people do it just for the aesthetics value but it adds quite a bit of durability to the uh to the firearm as well uh and just you know kind of a custom bespoke piece we can do simple one color stuff or we can go uh we can just go crazy with different types of camouflage patterns custom stenciling lettering uh we do laser cutting and engraving uh hydro dipping which is a hydrographic printing process we can do really really ornate uh like photograph quality printing I don't think I've ever seen you know like a a blue gun or a yellow gun I mean is it, you can make those? Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, we have a bunch of examples uh, in the shop that you can get your hands on and kind of see what we do or uh, a lot of pictures. Every on, time uh, I go in there, you tell me to keep my hands off those guns. Well, it's because you keep because <laughs> <laughs> I keep grabbing them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a lot of examples of our work on OregonGunShop.com if you want to see some examples of what we're talking about. Okay. So if somebody walks in and says, hey, uh, I want my Denver Bronco emblem. Yeah, we can do it. Really? Yep, absolutely. We do a lot of uh, sports-themed uh, guns. There's a we just did one for uh, Alabama, the Roll Tide-themed 1911, with some really deep, really deep engraving. And yeah, we we have a lot of fun with it. We never know what's going to come through the door. Yeah, how long does it take you to do something like that? It just depends on how detailed you. It want depends to get. on how detailed it is. We run about an average five or six week lead time on on most custom wow. projects. And who who does it? You yourself do it, or uh, I do some of it. So I have everybody that works for me is a certified armor. That's one thing that I kind of sets us apart. Is uh, 
Uh, that was something I was big on. I think a lot of gun shops are well-intentioned. You have firearms enthusiasts that work there, but not necessarily firearms professionals. So I wanted people that actually worked on guns, understood how they worked, can talk about the mechanical pros and cons, advantages, disadvantages. I mean, I think you've seen a little bit of that when you've come into the shop. Yeah, your your manager, Mike, is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the, the thing that Patty and I have talked about is we've, we've been in your shop several times, and, and he just he doesn't push. He just he'll sit there and he'll answer the questions. And you know we get in there and I think the last time we were in there for almost two hours and mm-hmm. he just was as patient as can be. And I thought I'd have thrown me out a long time ago. <laughs> you know? But he's just he's just real friendly and he explains it and explains it and. That's yeah. what we're big on is getting information out there, kind of cutting through a lot of the rumors and a lot of the you know BS that's in this industry and around it, and and cut to. You know what actually matters. Get good facts out there. Right. So, what is what is the biggest rumor right now? Is there something that just you hear all the time? Uh, you know, you hear a lot of the same ones over and over that I think are well intentioned, but kind of presented without context. Uh, some of the some of my favorites, like just rack a shotgun and you'll scare the bad guy away. Uh, people tend to look with their own cognitive biases. I mean, you might be afraid of the sound of a shotgun in the dark, but a hardened criminal might look at it a little bit differently. As soon as you rack that shotgun, they now know what type of weapon system you have. They know that you were at least one round down. You didn't have a loaded chamber already in an already very low-capacity weapon system. They know what room of the house you're in and possibly what area of that room, and they know your arm. Oh, you're throwing all kinds of stuff I never thought of. Yep, so they just look at it from a completely different perspective, and that's the problem of, of trying to look at things through your own eyes or through your own mindset not considering other people's perspective or what their life you know might have have uh, led them to different conclusions I, I bought patty a 410 shotgun mm-hmm. um years ago not a couple of years ago and, and i told her that i says you know what just just rack it and you'll get their attention but i never thought yeah oh, hardened criminal you just yeah. gave them a whole bunch of information yeah Yep. You got their attention all right. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the way you hoped. Yeah, not everyone's afraid of a gun. That's uh, I found that out the hard way as a, as a, as a cop, actually, as a young police officer. I uh, pointed my gun at someone because up until that point, I had had, uh, you know, I gained compliance from people. I point a gun at someone. I say, hey, show me your hands. And guess what? Their hands come up. Right. They might not like it. They might be talking smack the whole time, but their hands are coming up. Um, and uh, one time I, I was on a foot pursuit and cornered a guy in an alley, and I, I drew down on him. And... Um, I said, hey, man, show me your hands. And he balled up his fist and held eye contact with me, which is not normal human behavior right. uh, when confronted with something like that. And he said, yeah, screw that. I'm not going back to jail. And he started closing the gap towards me. Oops. Uh, yeah, but the psychological effect of my, that my handgun had on him obviously had a very different mindset about that. He, right. it, uh, you know, If I pointed a gun at you and said, show me your hands, well, you're a reasonable person. You don't want to get shot. So you're, well, let's you not get carried away here. <laughs> <laughs> well, some, at least somewhat reasonable. Right. But uh, you know, his life uh, experience had taught him or led him to a different conclusion. He had had a gun pointed at him several times in his life. He was a multi-time felon. Uh, and his life experience had led him to the conclusion that most of the time a gun gets pointed at you, you don't get shot. So he had no fear of that. I mean, it might as well have been a banana for all the psychological effect that it had on him. How did, how did that re- case resolve itself? Uh, fortunately, my partner rounded the corner and caught up with us right about that time. And we were able to just go hands-on. So I reholstered and we were able to tackle him. And you got to love cuffs, those partners, but, don't you? Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. This was, this was several years ago, 2006 or seven. But, sure. uh, uh, you know, obviously that climate's changed a lot. My son was, became a uh, police officer for um, a small town here. I'm not going to mention the name of it. Mm-hmm. But um, he, he came in the house one morning, slammed the door at 6 o'clock in the morning, I hear him pouncing up the stairs. Dad, you awake? I go, I am now. Um, and he says, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And he'd, he'd only been on 
the forest for maybe a month or two. Mm-hmm. And they got into foot pursuit, same like what you're talking about, down an alley. And him and his partner got down there, and they drew down on the guy. And I said, so how did that make you feel? And he was dead, scared the hell out of me. Uh-huh. Because I knew that his reaction was going to tell me what I was going to do next. Uh-huh. And I says, and how did that feel? And he goes, it scared the hell out of me. And he didn't like it. He didn't yeah. like it. So he, he got out of it, and he's a paramedic now up in Portland, which I'm not sure that's much safer. But, <laughs> Sadly, um, no. But, you know, it, it's it's amazing. Like you say, some people you can point again, and that's just, okay. You got your gun pointed. I mean, now we're still going to go at it. Yeah, yeah. If your if your plan is to scare somebody into compliance, it's a. I'll just tell you right now from experience that plan is not going to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got it. All right. So you opened up your store. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you end up here in Oregon? Uh, actually, at the time, I was a helicopter pilot, and uh, was... okay. What have you not done? <laughs> um, helicopter pilot. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was fun. It's uh, kind of a hard way to make a living. There's a lot of job hopping because it's a lot of the work is seasonal. Yeah. So you'd be harvesting Christmas trees or doing firefighting or you know things like that. The getting the corporate job is kind of the uh, the dream, but there's a very few open slots for that. So. But how did how did you end up in Oregon? I uh, came out here for uh, for a job. Actually, I was uh, teaching. Uh, I was a flight instructor over in McMinnville. Of course you were. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just came out here and fell in love with the area and decided to stay. So. Yeah. We, we came up for a funeral. My cousin was killed um, in a car accident, and we came up here to the funeral. We're sitting on the side of this cemetery on these rolling hills in Mill City, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at my mom, and I'm going, Ma'am, look around. This is beautiful. She goes, shut up. Try to be sad. You're at your cousin's funeral. And I was like, yeah, okay. But we just looked around and thought, this is gorgeous up here. Yeah. Went home. I picked up Patty, came back up here for a vacation to show her around, and we never came back. Nice. It was, uh, I think a lot of people have that story. Yeah. It's, it was it was nice. All right, so your store has been open for how many? You said five years uh-huh. now. Yep. Okay. What are you selling there? We only have less than a minute left on this break here. But what are you what are you selling there? Just uh, you sell bazookas? Uh, <laughs> not that, but just about everything else. We are a, a class two uh, NFA manufacturer, so we uh, we build machine guns, we sell machine guns, uh, silencers, short build rifles. Why does somebody need a machine gun to go deer hunting? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> and you've heard, you know where this question's going. You've heard this before. I then. do. I imagine we'll talk about it after the break. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and take a break right now. You're listening to the uh, Terry Saul Show on 104.3 FM, 1220 AM, KSLM. Today's show, of course, is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule, State Farm Insurance. We are coming back in just a few minutes. Stick around. We're just getting warmed up. Adam Johnson from the Coat of Arms is our guest. We'll be right back. wasn't planning on heading in that direction but okay we'll go that direction <laughs> it popped up so it why not popped up so why not um okay
Welcome back to the Terry Stall Weekend Show. We are talking with Adam Johnson from the Coat of Arms. Uh, before we took our last break, you mentioned that you sell machine guns and, and AK-47s. Who do you sell those to and why? What, 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 what's the reason somebody... My son just bought one. And, and I asked him, I says, why did you buy that? And he says, well, he just bought a travel trailer. Uh-huh. And he says, so I can have that in the travel trailer. I go, why do you need that in the travel trailer? So... What what is an AK forty seven for starters? Automatic Kalashnikova. It's a it's a say what? Automatic Kalashnikova. It's a we do this show in English. Try to keep it in English. Well, then don't ask me questions in <laughs> Russian. I don't know. <laughs> is that what so, it is? It's a Russian Russian weapon. It is. Yeah. So it was a Soviet developed uh, assault rifle. It was a select fire. Um, it could be fired in uh, well, it'd be a safe, semi automatic, and and full auto. What do, what do people buy them for now? Uh, well, now if it's a fully fully automatic one, mostly for investment pieces. So one of the really? one, yeah one of the laws that uh, Reagan passed uh, called the Hughes Amendment made civilians um, made it a little more difficult. So it's perfectly legal to own a machine gun in the United States uh, in most states. Oregon is one of those states, um, but they've made it more difficult. There's a two hundred dollar transfer tax. Uh, in order to transfer it to your possession, basically it's a registration fee is what it okay. is, but it's a, it's a tax. Um, and as long as you can pass a normal background check, you'll pass the background check for, for a machine gun. Most people buy them as investment pieces. Um, because of the Hughes Amendment, it, what that basically said was that any machine guns that are legal to be owned by civilians had to have been uh, manufactured and registered prior to May of 1986. So all of these civilian legal machine guns out there right now have been registered, you know, since that date. Well, think back to, uh, you know, basic economics, supply and demand. Right now the demand is increasing for machine guns, but the supply stays the same or actually even slightly shrinks. Uh, and so that's driven the prices sky high. Interestingly enough, uh, the value of uh, machine guns roughly uh, tracks with the value of the S&P 500 index. So, really? Yeah. So a lot of people are, uh, you know, buy machine guns as investment pieces. What What is the average machine gun cost? Uh, your entry level for a cheap one right now is around five thousand, and that's going to be for a are really. Are you serious? Yeah, seriously. So if you want to get into a good quality uh, M16, like a Colt M16, something like that, you're you're starting around twenty five to thirty thousand, depending on the condition and how it's configured. Uh, wow. AK47 because there were so few of them imported. Um, if it's full auto and it was registered, it's called a transferable machine gun. Those are going to start around forty, forty five thousand, and they just go up from there. I had no idea. Yep, I had so. no idea. And do you do you have? Can you get them? If somebody walks in, if I walked in there and said, "Here's forty five thousand, I want you can actually get one." Yep, absolutely. We keep a catalog of of some that we don't have on hand, but we have access to, and we also have right. just some machine guns in the shop that are you know for sale. Wow. Um, I recently we, we bought a couple of of handguns from you um, the past month or so, and. You ended up taking the one that I had that I used as a trade-in. Mm-hmm. I think it was a Glock. Mm-hmm. And you guys, I mean, you gave me a fair price for it. I, I was a little surprised that Mike gave me as much as I thought. He was, he was doing that. But you guys, you guys do that. You'll take a trade-in. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we buy, sell, trade. I, I try to, I've always tried to be really reasonable. I mean, obviously, we're, we're in business to make money. That's the sure, purpose of a sure. business. But... Uh, I would much rather build a loyal, uh, you know, customer and client base and have people keep coming back rather than try to make all my money off of you, you know, one time and then you, you know, have a sour taste in your mouth and don't want to come back. Well, you made it off of me one day on mine (laughs) 
And then the next day I came back in to buy a holster and you sold Patty again. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, and let me ask you about that. She's she's not been around firearms her whole life, and she's very timid around it. Mm-hmm. She'll hold it with two fingers, um, and she's she's still a little bit afraid, mm-hmm. which I guess is a good sign. You should always be afraid of your weapon, or not afraid, but respect. Exactly. Have respect there for it. Go. Yeah, there absolutely. You go. So, so do you guys teach classes on on how to? hold this thing how to load this thing how we to do use it yeah we do a lot of training so uh on the kind of entry level the base level we offer a multi-state concealed handgun license class uh where if you send in for all of the states that we certify you for you could carry in 40 states which is about as many as you could possibly carry in without being a law enforcement officer yeah, but you cannot carry it in california correct now you get to the border, you better leave it someplace, because if they catch it down there, they confiscate it, don't they? Well, you cover it under the Federal Peaceable Journey Act if it's in a locked, hard-sided container and outside of the care and control of the driver or passengers of the vehicle. So you can go through California with a firearm if it's locked in a case and unloaded, uh, but you, okay. can't, yeah, you can't go down there and like concealed carry a firearm. Okay. And why, why is California so strict with it? Because they have so many people that want to do this? <laughs> or are they... Um, they are not a shall-issue state. They're a may-issue state, which means that you have to prove to the issuing authority that you have a specific need for uh, for a firearm for self-defense, like a credible threat against you, basically. Okay. Um, okay. It's just another measure or means of control on their part. Uh, we're, by contrast, we are a shall-issue state where the state, uh, or it's done by the county sheriffs here, where your sheriff has to issue you a concealed handgun license if you have the requisite training and you are not a prohibited person. And see, I have my concealed weapon permit, mm-hmm. and when I got that, I was in the class. They told me that the sheriff is under, uh, or he is under, he's obligated to issue you that license. Uh-huh. He has no choice. He has to issue. If you can qualify, he has to do that. Correct, right? unless you're a prohibited person, so convicted felon, or if you've ever been uh, convicted of uh, domestic violence, uh, you know, crimes like that. Okay, so I also took the one. For Utah, mm-hmm. and and there, I, I was concerned. I said, "Well, I don't very seldom do I get to Utah." But they said the Utah permit will allow a lot of states that the Oregon one doesn't. Correct. So Oregon's unique in that we don't honor any other state's handgun license. And so because of that, very few states honor the Oregon license. It's called reciprocity. We don't have a formal reciprocity agreement with anyone. Okay. Uh, so you can carry in 17 states on an Oregon license, most of which are constitutional carry. In other words, you don't have to have any kind of permit to carry there. Um, once you add the Utah non-resident permit onto that, you can carry in 35 states. So it gives you quite a bit more options carrying-wise. Uh, then you can sign up for others. Arizona, Florida, and that gets you up to that 40 uh, right. mark. And somebody walks in there and wants to purchase a, a weapon. Um, I, I think I bought a 9 millimeter. Let's say I, I see this, I like this, this is what I want. And you have an uneasy feeling. Mm-hmm. Can you go by your gut feeling? Can you say, you know... Yeah, we I, we deny sales. Uh, Do you really? Yeah, pretty frequently. Uh, people give give up more information than they probably should have, or uh, it just, you know, makes us uncomfortable. Uh, they give us the context of why they want one, and it doesn't, you know, ma- match with what we do. Okay. We need to take a short break. When we come back, more with today's special guest. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance. More with Adam Johnson from the Coat of Arms in just a moment. Stick around. Doing all right? Yeah. Okay. This one's going to be 12 minutes long. Um, okay, so on this one, 
I'd like to ask you about the background check. What's involved in, in, in the background? What do all they look for? What, do you guys do the background, or it's, it's done through a computer or something? It's, they... Yeah, it's done through a computer okay. or, or telephone. Okay. And then... Um, do we want do we want to get into the um, the training a little bit? Yeah, we can definitely do we that. We have uh, we have what's this twelve minutes? Okay. Yeah. How about uh, how I got into uh, into instructing? And I'll segue that into training. Got it. So I'll go in from three. I'll go four, then into three. Okay. Yep. And here we go. What am I saying? Wait a minute. Uh, segment three. We are back with the weekend show. Salem's original radio show. Okay, I can do that. We are back. This is the Terry Saw Weekend Show, Salem's original radio station. We are KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, and today we're talking to Adam Johnson from the Coat of Arms, located over there on River Road, 4190 River Road to be exact. Uh, on our last uh, segment, we were talking a little bit about um, getting your license and what type of background do they look for. I noticed that when, when Patty and I both bought ours, um, it was a day apart, mm-hmm. and you said... Uh, Mike, who sold it to us, said that, well, it might take a little bit for your background to go through, but it came back almost instantaneous. I mean, it was just, I don't know if it's because of the time of the day we got in there and there wasn't a lot that they're looking for, but what's what's involved in doing the background and who do you go through? Sure. So it's uh, it's an ATF form. It's called the BATFE uh, 4473 form, and it's a federal background check form. You love dropping these numbers on me, don't you? <laughs> We'll take notes, I guess. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, it's forty four seventy three form. It's just a basic background check form. Um, anytime you come in and purchase a gun, we're running the gun to make sure it's not stolen through the stolen firearms database, and then we are running uh, you uh, as the purchaser to make sure you're not a prohibited person. Uh, and so there's a questionnaire on it. You remember filling out the questions on it, like, is this firearm for you? Have four you been- times I had to fill out things. I kept making mistakes. <laughs> That's why I said Mike was patient. And he'd rip it up and say, okay, let's try it again. Yeah, there's some oddly phrased questions on there that are a little, little confusing. Um, so yeah, we, my name. <laughs> well, <laughs> couldn't figure that well, one out. You kept chewing on the crayon, so we can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we, you know, we, we tend to walk. Uh, we can't walk someone through a form, but we can answer questions and help clarify right. any questions you might have. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, and then it runs through what's called FIX, which is the uh, Oregon State Police uh, Firearms Instant Check System. Um, it's run by OSP and, uh, we do it through a computer interface. We type in all the information. We say, Hey, we're selling this gun. Um, and, uh, this is the person that's, that's purchasing it. Uh, so they're going to run you to make sure that you're basically running through every state database that they have. Make sure you don't have any open warrants. You're not on any sort of conditional release, never been convicted of a felony, never, re- never renounced your U S citizenship, uh, et cetera. Um, and then they run you through the FBI, um, NICS, which is the National Instant uh, Check uh, System. And this is all done in just a matter of moments. Correct. Now, right now, well, yes and no. So uh, if you are the only person with your name and date of birth within a certain geographic radius, typically you will get auto-approved. The system just basically doesn't find anything on you, and the algorithm says, okay, this person's all right, and we get approval immediately. Uh, If you have a more common name, if you're a John Smith or, you know, anything like that, you go into the queue. Now, that used to be almost instantaneous. It would take a few minutes, typically. Okay. Uh, With the increase in demand starting with the beginning of the pandemic last March, um, I think we've only dropped below 2,000 people in line a couple of times. It's been hovering between four and 6,000 people in line for a background check in Oregon for the last year and a half. Yeah, every single day. Doesn't that seem like a lot? 
Uh, it is a lot. Yeah, it's it's unprecedented. Why? Why? Why are every people so many people buying firearms now? Um, is it because of the pandemic? It, it's that it's kind of the perfect storm. I think that's what touched it off with all the lockdowns and food shortages, and you know there was a lot of fear in the beginning of all of this. It was all very unknown. No one knew what was going to happen. There were gas lines. People, you know, grocery stores were running out of food, and everyone remembers the we joke about it now, but the toilet paper, exactly. uh, you know, yeah. crisis. Yeah. Uh, and so people began to wake up to the fact that maybe. Uh, Maybe the government can't do everything to help and protect you, and that some of you know you have to take some personal responsibility, uh, you know, for defending yourself and for defending your family. And so, a lot of first-time gun owners. As a matter of fact, last count uh, for last year was that there were over nine million new gun Serious. owners in the United States that had never owned a gun before, never thought they would, and they just got into firearms last year. Adam, doesn't that sound a little scary? Yes and no. Um, I, I obviously. I'm, I'm a proponent of people being armed and people taking responsibility for their own uh, for their own safety. I mean, no one's going to do it for you. It's the average 911 response time in the U.S. is seven minutes, and if you've ever been in any kind of fight before, seven seconds is a long time. Exactly. Seven minutes is the rest of your life. Right. So, um, I, I'm a huge proponent for that. Now, getting training is is the critical aspect. There, people that think that having a firearm is a magic talisman that it's somehow going to ward off you know evil or keep it away from them are are more dangerous than they are helpful. Okay. So is that how you got into becoming an instructor? Uh, I got into becoming an instructor because I realized that I didn't know what I didn't know, and I learned it the hard way. I was in a defensive shooting in a convenience store robbery uh, back in 2006. Okay, you know I'm going to ask you about details and that without getting too detailed. Yeah, sure. It's uh, wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> Yeah. I was uh, I was working plain clothes. Um, I worked for a security company at the time. I was doing loss prevention, um, so I was uh, just wearing jeans and a you know loose baggy shirt over over a firearm and um, had a bulletproof vest on, um, but you couldn't you know couldn't tell from right. from the way right. I was dressed. Um, and uh, I was at a convenience store in uh, Northwest Indianapolis and. Um, Guy came in. I didn't. I uh, wasn't very observant. I didn't notice his behavior the way I should have. Right. Uh, what he was doing is waiting for people to leave the store, and he got impatient with the fact that I wasn't leaving, and so he decided he was going to rob the place while I was in there. And uh, he decided he was going to try to control me as well as the cashier. Now we'd always tell the cashiers, hey, if you're being robbed, we can't always hear you, but we can always see you. Put your hands up as high as they'll go. It's kind of the you know universal sign for I'm being robbed right now. Right. Um, and he didn't do that. Uh, he didn't give me any sort of visual cues that he's being robbed and I couldn't see the firearm from where I was from my vantage point. So, uh, when the guy made contact with me, he said, Hey, come on around here, young man. And, um, so I unwittingly started to round the corner just to basically see why this guy wanted to interact with me. And that's when I saw the barrel of his gun. And, uh, when, uh, as soon as he turned towards me, I recognized, uh, <laughs> You know what that was, and I uh, yelled something I can't say on the radio. Uh, you, I don't remember doing it, but I, I yelled uh, an explicative. And um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, he, without any hesitation, he brought the gun over in my direction and fired twice before I'd even reached for a gun. Before I mean, he just decided that I was I was not going to survive that encounter. Did so. he hit you at all? He did not. Amazingly, uh, lousy shot. Huh? Yeah, very. And most people <laughs> are under those types of stressful uh, situations. That's something I found out about myself. Actually, I was no stranger to uh, no stranger to violence. I'd, uh, I'd been deployed to Iraq. I was on the initial invasion, actually, in 2003. I'd, I'd been in gunfights before, but they were always offensive in nature. Right. And military operation, you know, we plan everything. We plan the lighting conditions, the time, the place, the method of insertion, uh, you know, everything that we could possibly plan, we do. 
Uh, the part that never occurred to me is that in a defensive situation, the bad guy has every single one of those advantages. Yeah, but as a police officer, aren't you most of the time in a defensive situation? Mm-hmm. And as nationwide, law enforcement has an 87% miss rate in officer-involved shootings. So that means out of every 100 rounds fired by law enforcement, 13 hit their intended target, 87 hit something else. Hmm. So that can be attributable to a lot of factors. One of them is poor training. Um, but, uh, it goes much further than that. Uh, it goes just to physiologically what our bodies do under those types of that body alarm response, those types of stress loads. Uh, and I found out the hard way that there's a lot of things that work against you in that type of situation. The the average police shooting is under 10 seconds, isn't it? (laughs) It's under three seconds, believe it or not. Three seconds. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's why when you, when you watch the, the secret service in action, I mean, those guys, they, they go for the trouble instead of trying to, you know, like most of us are, would try to defend ourselves and get away from it. Mm-hmm. They're, they're right in there. I mean, the guy that, that shot Reagan, Hinckley, yep. um, who's getting out. I he is, yeah. That's bizarre. It is. <laughs> um, but the, the police, one of the Secret Service agents that jumped in front of Reagan and spread his body out, mm-hmm. I mean, he just, it's just a, a split second he did that. And it's like. A lot of training. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of training. Um, Could to- have been me. Sorry, Mr. President, but I'm hiding with you. <laughs> well, if you'd had the training, though, um, and mastered those skill sets, you would have reacted differently. Yeah. We don't tend to rise to the occasion. We fall to our lowest level of mastery in those types right. of stressful situations. So um, you're, you're sitting in a movie theater, and all of a sudden that movie theater door pops open, and in comes this crazy person firing. Uh-huh. What do you do? Do you, are, are you married? Uh, no. Okay. Well... Keep it that way. <laughs> Sorry, dear. Um, but what do you what do you do? Uh, you're in there with with whoever you're in there with. Do you try to protect them, or are you going to try and defend and, and take this guy out before he hurts anybody else? Do you, you know, want? Do you even want to get in the gunfight? The, 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 no. Having been in a defensive gunfight, I would do almost anything to avoid another avoid, one. Right. Um, it was the single scariest moment of my life. Because and you're not afraid of to say things. that. No, not at all. Uh, okay. that's, it's a big part of why I do what I do now. It led, all of the mistakes that I made, I had some pretty good training to fall back on. And so eventually when I finally got myself in gear and was able to effectively return fire, I, I, you know, I, I walked away. He didn't. Um, but the, the getting there and all the mistakes that I made is what motivated me to become an instructor. It was actually first learning more about why I failed. Like, uh, it, Believe it or not, it had never even occurred to me at that time to practice drawing from concealment. So the very first thing I did when I went to go draw my gun was grab a handful of shirt. Okay. Sounds so stupid now when I say right. it out loud, but at the time, it's one of those things that, again, I had practiced drawing from a holster so many times, thousands of repetitions, that that's what I did instinctively under stress. And, well, I wasn't able to get and my gun. And you don't see Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry uh, <laughs> grabbing a handful of shirt. Right. Well, he also has open, you know, his, his gun is just out on his uh, on his hip. Drawing yeah. from concealment takes a well, lot of dedicated a, practice. He's got the forty four, which is like a cannon, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we could talk about all of the disadvantages of a revolver being, uh, you know, well, and, and look, let's, weapon. we've got about a minute and a half left on the mm-hmm. segment. Let's let's talk about that. Um, I asked uh, you one time about a, a three fifty seven mm-hmm. that I had years ago. It was a Smith and Wesson three fifty seven. I think it was called a Model nineteen, mm-hmm. and um, I got rid of it. And my uncle, who's ninety eight years old, had given this to me, and so now I want to pick up another one just just for nostalgia value. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're not available anymore, are they? Uh, they're around, but not in large numbers. Yeah, why is that? 
Is it is it better to have a revolver? Patty had a thirty-eight, uh, a small thirty-eight, mm-hmm. and you guys told her, no, 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 no. These, you shoot somebody with that thirty-eight, all you're gonna do is piss them off. Mm, no, that that's that. It, what that wasn't the aspect of it. So ballistically, the thirty-eight's fine. Three fifty-seven Magnum is fine. It has to do with the actual running of the gun. You have a very low capacity weapon system with a long, heavy trigger pull. So people tend to shoot double action revolvers less accurately and slower. And now you have a very low capacity in that firearm, so it just doesn't set you up for success. What What is your weapon of choice? Uh, I carry a Glock 19 most days. Okay, that is a, that is a what? Nine millimeter semi-automatic, holds okay. 16 rounds. 16 rounds. Mm-hmm. Which you know, to to someone that's never been in a gunfight, may sound like a lot. Um, and we could talk about it more after the break. But in my shooting, I fired 13 rounds. No kidding. Yep, and that's pretty typical, actually. And uh, did you hit your target? I did, yeah. I have five hits, uh, four in the upper thoracic cavity and one in the head. Yeah. Um, when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit about how you felt afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, did you sleep that night? No. <laughs> no, I did not. We can definitely talk about that. All right. Quick break. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting warmed up. Today's show being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule, State Farm Insurance. Back with our final segment in just a bit.
Okay, mics are back on. This is uh, segment four, Phil. This is eight minutes, 50 seconds. <clears throat> we are back with our final few minutes. Today's guest has been Adam Johnson from the Coat of Arms, located over there on River Road. How many people die a year from being shot? Or is that even the proper way of saying it? Not really. It depends on who you ask, and it depends on how you break those numbers down. So okay. the total number of gun deaths from the most recent year we have uh, compiled data for, it takes a few years to put all this together, um, total deaths from firearms in the United States, 38,390, which sounds like a lot until you think about the fact that but we're in a country with 350 million yeah, people. That's not really a lot. Well, let's go further. Of those, 24,432 of those were suicides. So okay. more than sixty percent of those uh, of those deaths, uh, well over sixty percent actually were uh, were people taking their own lives. Which okay. you're you're a former police officer. I'm mm -hmm. sure you, you've probably responded to a suicide or two in oh, yeah. your, your career. And what people don't realize is that um, when a police officer responds to the suicide, they get in, they do whatever they have to do, and then they leave mm -hmm. um, after the body is removed and stuff. But there may be brain matter all over the oh, wall. Yeah. Yeah, and you're not going to clean it up. No, the a the aftermath that people leave behind is uh, it's heartbreaking, actually. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's sad. But uh, the uh, if you break those numbers down further, so if you take out suicides, that leaves about fourteen thousand. Leaves thirteen thousand nine hundred fifty-eight uh, homicides. Now, homicide is not murder. Homicide is just the number of people that are killed with a gun, right? So that includes. Why just is that not murder? Well, for example, uh, I I was involved in a homicide. I killed someone in self-defense okay. so that's a homicide but it was a justifiable homicide so that was not murder right murder was is with criminal intent okay so so when when, when you shot that man at, the, at that grocery store where it was mm -hmm. that you did that um you got home that night did you lay your head down on your pillow and conk out <clears throat> Uh, I certainly didn't conk out. Definitely, uh, definitely laid there staring at the ceiling. Uh, it takes your brain a long time to kind of catch up with with what happened and put the pieces together. Do you ever think about, well, maybe I could have handled it differently, or it was going to be him or I? Every day since May thirteenth, two thousand six. Seriously? Yeah. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that night. It's actually it motivates me to do what I do. That's why I became an instructor. It's why I. I fight so hard to shatter some of these preconceived notions that people have about violence uh, or have about uh, fighting with a gun. Fighting with a gun is completely different than having a gun on your person and thinking you know how to fight with it. Um, again, your body does not respond the way you think it's going to. You have auditory exclusion where your hearing shuts off. You have tunnel vision where the rods and cones in your eyes align differently so that light actually interacts with your retina differently. You physically, anatomically lose your peripheral vision. Uh, you lose prestidigitation. In other words, the ability to rapidly isolate individual muscles so your fingers kind of turn into flippers. Things just don't work right. After you, after you shot that man... Um, while you were waiting for authorities to arrive and medics and whoever needs to arrive there, mm -hmm. what are you doing? What do you think? What's going through your mind? Uh, at, at that time, honestly, I, I, I had kind of gotten my head in gear at that point, and um, so I was securing the scene, so I was still standing over him. I had him at gunpoint. Um, the human body can take an incredible amount of punishment, so right. of the five hits, uh, like I mentioned, uh, four in the upper thoracic cavity, uh, one in the head, he still lived for another 15 minutes after that. Okay. Um, but I was uh, I was standing over him and basically keeping people back. Obviously, you have curious bystanders and, sure, and you know, sure. witnesses that heard it that, that come running up and some want to help and things like that. So uh, basically, securing the scene until until uh, you know help arrived. Okay. 
So what other statistics do you have that you can share with us? Uh, well, of those, the, the 14,000 or so remaining, um, about 1,000 of those are, are justified use of force. Um, excuse me, about 2,000. If you combine law enforcement and civilian shootings, that's about 2,000. So that brings us down to 9,458. Uh, and about 2,500 are gang murders, um, like gang-on-gang gang violence. So if you actually look at it, we have under 10,000 deaths per year from firearms that are, that are murders in the United States. Okay. Uh, 350 million people. So if you run the math, that represents 0.002% of the population. So the fact that people are even talking about this is is kind of amazing to me because it's a statistical zero. It's something that two one-thousandths of 1% of the population is affected by. Um, interestingly enough, uh, 659,000 people a year die from heart disease, 600,000 from cancer, uh, nearly 90,000 from diabetes. Uh, a professor uh, from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in 2016 released a study that 251,000 people per year die from medical malpractice or medical errors in the United States, which means that you're 27 times more likely to be killed by a doctor than a gun. 27 times more likely. You've met my doctor, obviously. <laughs> well, 90% didn't graduate in the top 10% of their <laughs> there class. You there you go. Wow. So really, really Gun violence is not uh, that high. No, no. If you look at the actual statistics and, and, and take emotion off the table and look at the raw data and cut through the, the, the individual stories, which are admittedly sad. I'm not trying to minimalize anything that anyone has been through as far as that goes. But, uh, but if you look at the fact that we're arguing over a statistical zero, something that you need to go three decimal places to the right of the decimal to even express as a percentage of the population, mm -hmm. shows you how emotionally manipulated people are being in, in, this, uh, in this equation. New things like Senate Bill 554, the so-called Safe Storage Act. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> what is it now or what did it morph into? <laughs> uh, okay. It, it went through a bunch of different iterations. Um, and it was sold as a safety act, basically. It says that if, if a firearm is not in use, whatever that means, um, that it needs to be secured or locked up. Uh, and if you uh, do not have it locked up, and it's, not a, it's a completely unenforceable law, but if you don't have your firearm locked up and it gets stolen and used in a crime, you may be criminally liable for up to two years after the date the firearm was stolen. Seriously? Seriously. That went into effect on September 25th, just a few weeks ago. Well, that doesn't seem – and if your weapon is not in use, but it's not going to be in use. If, if, if I mean, mine right now are not in use. They're uh -huh. at home. I have a gun safe, and they're in my gun safe there. Uh -huh. But they're not in use. Right. Well, what is in use? Exactly. Yeah. And what is in use was that night that you had to use yours. Correct. And so obviously, you know, like if, if, you, if a gun is on you, if you're concealed carrying it or, or open carrying it, or if you have a firearm on you, that's – in use, right? Okay. So it really comes down to them trying to police inside of your home, which they can't do. No, so. not going to happen. Right. So tell me real quickly, we're, we're getting a little low on time here, is um, you have training. Do uh, you have different classes? What are the classes that you have there? Uh, we do the multi-state concealed handgun license class, and you can go okay. to OregonGunTraining.com to, uh, to be able to sign up for that class. We also do one-on-one -on -one training from every level, 
uh, from I've never held a gun before and I'm uncomfortable around firearms. We have a lot of students like that, especially this year, people just starting to get into this. Um, and we go all the way up to the advanced level. We actually teach uh, fighting under night vision. We teach fighting around vehicles, um, advanced concealed carry, personal protection inside the home, personal protection outside the home. Um, so, and you do all that right at, at your store there? Uh, well, we, we do the classroom portion at the store, and then we have a private range that we can take people to. Okay. What are your hours over there? We are Wednesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday from noon to 6. Okay, so you close Monday, Tuesday? Correct. Yep. Okay. And is there a phone number that people can get in touch with you? Yeah, so it's 503-559-1942. Okay, that was a good year. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there, but I'll take your word for it. No, I wasn't there either. <laughs> All righty. And uh, Coat of Arms is located, again, at 4190 River Road north hey adam i got a, a bunch of more questions would you would you come back sometime and yeah be happy pick to this up i've got a thousand more questions i can ask you here and i'm you know i'm nosy i like to know that's how stuff. these conversations always go one you know one figure one statistic leads to more questions and yeah sure it is all righty we're uh, we're just about out of time adam thank you again my friend my pleasure You're located over at 4190 river road north hang on i'm gonna do a close and that's gonna wrap up today's show We'll see you next time.